This is the Discuss Metal Podcast with Don Bastard of the Record Space. Hosted by Dan Terry and Joseph Wren. Presented by DiscussMetal.com. Well, what's up, everybody? We are back on the Discuss Metal Podcast. We have our very first in-studio guest, which is Don Bastard. He is in a band called Bastard Squad, and he also owns a really badass record store. Uh, that is local to us, which if you are from St. Louis, you'll know that those are kind of in short supply. I mean, because we've got like, what, like four record stores in the area. And the ones that exist are either like indier than thou or they're uh, shit, dude. That was good. Yeah, they're all old. (laughs) They're all old shit. Like you can find some cool stuff there, but you've got to have like nine hours to look. You know, they've got shit everywhere. Yeah, and like literally, it's in an old library, and they make use of the space. Absolutely. I'm gonna start with a little bit of a story uh, that I just told before we did this, but uh, I was uh, in the market for a new car, and I was driving with my wife uh, up Gravoy Road here in St. Louis, and uh, I happened to see the store and told my wife like hey we should stop you know for a minute or whatever and she's like no uh we're not gonna do that we're gonna (laughs) go get this car that we have to get and i was like okay that's fine so uh whenever i we didn't make a deal with the guy on the car that day uh he wouldn't do it and then i saw we walked away and then i called him the next morning and was like yeah you know if you want to sell that car today you take you know so he did it so i got to drive i got to go up there by myself and so when I came back with the car, I was able, <laughs> yeah. I was able to stop in and, and, and check out the store. And um, I'll kind of turn it over to you, Don, a little bit. Um, you know, we're, we're going to get into the Bastard Squad stuff. But the, the part of my curiosity is just how the store came to be. Yeah. Um, I started this store two years ago out of an antique mall. So the name Record Space actually came about because I was trying to figure out if you built a record store inside of an antique mall, what would you call it? Right. So we had a room with a door and everything, so it was like my own thing. So I called it the record space because it was a space inside of a pre-existing business. Right. So that's how it started. Um, the alternate name to it actually was uh, uh, Vault of Vinyl, which would have been a play on like Vault of Horror. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nice. Because I've always had the horror theme mixed in with the record thing. So it's not just records. It's also... Uh, horror stuff uh, is the two big things that we have going on there. That's one of my favorite things about it is you you know you you can check records and tapes and CDs and you have all that you yep. know. Uh, one of the things that caught my eye more specifically is I'm a huge Laserdisc guy. Yep, Laserdisc. And uh, so just to have a store local that has a Laserdisc section that is organized. Yeah, <laughs> you yep. know, and, and gone through, and like you know, as a as a metal fan and horror fan, you know, all those things I feel like are tied very closely together. I feel the same way about punk rock, yeah, and uh, metal and and uh, horror and all that. So, but yeah, so when I opened the store, uh, I actually originally was going to have the store kind of in another business here. And it was going to be an offshoot of the record space where we were out in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. Okay. So I'm from St. Louis, moved out there with my family, opened that up, and then I was going to open one in St. Louis also. So I was going to have two locations. And then um, as that went on, I kind of realized that I probably should just open my own store and put all of it into one place rather than two, you know, spread out. So I found a place and opened it up and got it rolling and... uh, yeah, just made it look like I would want 
a store to look when I walked in. Sure. The way that I do my band, it's, you know, you want the music to sound like stuff you like to listen to so that you can listen. I, I like to listen to my own record. It's it's not, to no. me, it's not weird. You should be able to listen to it. You should like it. Uh, or why are you doing it? Right, totally. And uh, talking about that record, so this is actually going to be released with the store like the store is releasing it or does the store have yeah. like an offshoot label or is they right. like, are they like one in the same so this uh so we had a show that was a, a, a i don't know if any of you guys went to it but we had a show at a ready room called punk versus metal uh bastard versus bastard squad because there's a band in st louis called bastard right thrash yeah. band so uh i went to a show with those guys playing and i was like yeah we need to just have a, a battle of punk versus metal and uh you know for fun sure yeah <laughs> uh, hell yeah nothing negative there and so um we released a, a demo tape and i decided that the tape would be released instead of through like a private release through the band i would just release it through the store uh in an offshoot label called the record label sure so oddly enough that name's not taken <laughs> uh, I actually looked it up. The only place that's ever used it was in the UK, and I was like, well, there you go. So now the record space has a record label called the record label. Easy to remember. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we um, we did the demo tape for we called it. It's called Promo 19, and it's got uh, two cover tracks and two demo tracks. And then the record is called Bastard Luck, which we've been listening to, and it's uh, 12 tracks full-length record so it's our first release technically you know the first full length and it's sure. also the first band the band's first release so but going forward i'm going to actually be releasing other bands uh records so. that's awesome and you're releasing on uh what formats are you on cd or tape or both or uh, we're doing vinyl cd cassette and um digital okay so every format the way that i remember everything being released when i was growing up Sure. You know, like you had an option <laughs> instead of it just being just the CD or just vinyl, you know. Where are you getting your vinyls pressed? So the records are being pressed at Precision, which is a record pressing plant out of uh, Canada. And I, I think they outsource everything in and then or do part of it. I think the records are actually pressed in the Czech Republic. And then um, they're made with that old style that a lot of metal records were actually pressed in called direct metal mastering. If you ever see like all the old metal records say DMM stickers on the yep, front, yep. that's the way we had them done <clears throat> in the check. Then they're shipped to Canada, put together, and then shipped over to us. Very cool. Now with the band Bastard Squad, how long have you guys been around? So uh, the band started in 97, and then we were probably around for six months, and then... Uh, we took a 22-year break. <laughs> <laughs> ain't, that, ain't that the way. Right. So all we recorded in the six months was in the, we have an original demo, which right now I'm having going into the studio with this original tape and having it uh, cleaned up, and we're doing some lathe cut seven inches of it. Okay. Uh, which is nobody's ever, nobody knows this yet. <laughs> this okay. Is a, it's an first exclusive. Time, right. Yeah. And there's probably only going to be 20 copies, maybe. It's just some one-off thing I want to do to preserve that original recording sure and finally give it the treatment i wanted to uh we never released it so it uh flash forward 22 years and uh i was putting on the very first punk rock flea market which is an event that i do every year and i was doing it at my friend's bar uh john who owns san lou 
and uh, he was the original bass player for Bastard Squad. So okay. I was thinking of bands we would have on the thing, and one thing led to another, and I just asked him, hey, you want to try to do a, a one-off reunion show? And uh, at that same exact moment, in a weird coincidence of fate or whatever, um, our drummer, who originally from back then had moved off to San Diego and New York, somehow came back to St. Louis at the same exact time and uh, I was told, hey, that guy's back in town. You want to reach out and see if he wants to do it? So I did, and he said yes. And then we played the show, and then we were asked to do another one. And then it was. Then we started writing new material, and then it, now it's been about a year and a quarter. Okay. So let's. I'm going to jump back to '97 real yeah. quick, uh, and you know, say, okay, so you guys were a band. You had an unreleased demo. Yes. And so how active was the band at that time as far as... Yeah, we played uh, a lot of shows. I would think so, because if 22 years later you want to do a reunion yeah. show and then anybody <laughs> to show up, yeah, you know... Yeah, we, we played... Uh, so I was originally from a band called Very Metal, which is a bigger known old school punk rock band in St. Louis. And then when I left, you know, the band, uh, I started Bastard Squad. Um, so in the six months we played a, a lot of shows... Um, and uh, I think one of our biggest shows we played was uh, with the, on the first Dropkick Murphys tour. Okay. They played at um, a place called Kennedy's on the Landing. And uh, so, you know, we tried to get out as much as we could. We would play anywhere, a basement, a coffee house, uh, you know, a show with Dropkick Murphys. Sure. Uh, whatever we were asked to do or wherever we could get our foot in the door. So we played a lot of shows uh, in that brief period and then recorded the demo and... You know, one thing, young, a lot of drinking. <laughs> sure. And uh, everything came to a head pretty quick, and then we all kind of went our separate ways. What was it like recording in 97? We didn't start until the mid-2000s when yeah. we could do everything digitally on a computer. Right. Um, and you had as much hard drive space as you could possibly imagine. Right. Uh, so this, when we recorded, I think we recorded for $75 in a friend's living room we played the demo entire entirely live like our live show um and record he was had a sound room in the other room I, that's all i remember so it was uh basically a uh, thick carpet that i remember being sticky <laughs> <laughs> and then um yeah we just blasted through seven songs and i don't even remember doing multiple takes i don't remember much other than you know blazing through all the songs and uh and that was it and then i was handed a tape and that's the same tape i still have to this day oh, wow. we don't even have the original dats or whatever they were recorded on we can relate to that absolutely yeah. <laughs> so you know except uh, our cd has multiple takes of the same demo <laughs> right <laughs> yeah no and i mean it was always intended to be a seven inch you know like that's what we wanted to do with it but every you know we it was over before it began so it just in a weird you know alignment of the stars i guess it just happened and then it just kind of naturally progressed uh and kept growing and the crowd kept growing and the you know everything we were doing just kept growing so well if you don't mind me going back a little bit uh further what uh what got you into punk rock and hardcore and so i grew up playing classical music and you know through probably junior year of high school um or uh and uh then I just 
basically listen to that kind of stuff with a little bit of pop music. You know, everybody listened to Michael Jackson in 1982, you know. Yep. <laughs> so And 85. Right. And 89. But you get <laughs> we to, all did it. Yeah. yeah, you get to about, you know, 88-ish, and Metallica releases And Justice for All. Yes. And, uh, you know, my buddy that lives across the street from me shows me this band that I've never heard of. And I can't believe it. Like, uh, like I'm like, it sounds like a wall of guitars. And then, of course, later you find out there's no bass on it, which is why it sounds like a wall of right, guitars. Right, yeah. It literally <laughs> is that. Yeah, you were spot on. Right. So, um, and, and it just blew me away, you know? So then I, I told my uncle, and, of course, my uncle's a metalhead, and he's like, come on, dude. Like, you want to listen to that stuff? I've got all this, you know, and he's got every, you know. So, but he introduces me to um, Danzig. Because uh, he knows I love the Doors, okay. So he's like, "Yeah, check out Danzig. I've, Danzig Two had come out by that time. Danzig One, Danzig Two era, so ninety-ish." And uh, he's like, "Yeah, check this guy out. Yeah, I think you'll dig it." And so I start getting into Danzig, and then he goes, uh, "If you like Danzig, check this out." And he gives me a Misfits tape, and it's Misfits collection, right? And so that's it. Once I hear the Misfits, everything was over. You know, like. You're like, yeah, forget all this, dude. What is this world? I, I This music's cool, but <laughs> to me, it was like the punk rock stuff was just, it had that energy, and I, you know, I was young, so it was like the metal stuff was cool, but I was, I wanted that kind of frenetic, I had that energy, so it was yeah. naturally just went straight to punk rock. Well, yeah, the energy is, is always the selling point, you yeah. know, it was definitely that way for me with hardcore. Uh -huh. Um yeah. Although I didn't get into hardcore until probably like after 2000, because I'm you know a young, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. a you were a late buck. bloomer in metal, dude. I, I was, and that, and so for me, growing up, there was almost no differentiation between hardcore and metal at that point, you know. Right. But uh, what what I think was interesting is I think we all collectively, as 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 aggressive music fans, I'll say. We all have that kind of initial spark, that that rejection of everything that you'd heard before, because you're like, yeah, well, this stuff is this stuff is fucking great, right? And all this other stuff is just sounds like it's meandering around, and uh, I can understand too uh, with with metal, especially in the '80s and early '90s, it almost seemed a little bit too um, self indulgent, right? You know, like let me play this guitar solo that goes for yeah you know six minutes or you yeah, know yeah, some yeah. shit like that and takes 27 takes to get the first two seconds of right and then the dude can't play it live because he's too drunk or, right. or whatever you know right. <laughs> um but yeah with uh with with punk rock and hardcore you know that is um that that was very much my bread and butter growing up and uh it's so funny because when we when when joe and i were playing in a band we we're trying to come up in a St. Louis scene, and then we realized that there really wasn't one. Right. At least not in the 2000s, right. you know. Um, so you guys you guys did Bastard Squad in 97. And, and I then, was in Very Metal from 95, maybe the end of 94 till 97. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, slowly building that thing up, you know, and Very Metal was pretty big. We did a lot of shows and started. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard of Very Metal. I didn't yeah. know that you were... And then they went yeah. on to be a more aggressive, kind of uh, harder core band. When, when I was in the band, it was more like a drunk punk yeah. kind of and Then it was kind of thing. more of a thrash kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eventually they turned into Head On Collision, yeah. which is a straight-up thrash band. Yep. <clears throat> That's perfect, though. That's the evolution of punk rock, right? right like yeah. that's you, you start punk and you go thrash. Well, eventually. yeah, and, and that's the thing with all of the, <clears throat> you 
you know that the the whole weird punk versus metal thing in the 80s i never understood because you don't even get thrash without the punk you don't get any of it without bands like motorhead and the damned and all of that stuff have to happen first before you get iron maiden right and venom and stuff which then misfits have to happen so that you can get metallica and slayer right and you know and, and like the whole weird thing where people are like oh i'm i'm a metalhead but punk rockers that's so lame and you're like well no you you can't have one without the other right you know you almost needed the punk rock to get to the metal and then all of most of the metal musicians are into the shit you know so (laughs) yeah it's like a chicken and the egg situation yeah even if the only thing you ever listen to is metallica james hetfield repeatedly says seriously guys motor breath and we were taking punk rock energy and just playing faster yeah Yeah. and i mean you listen to those uh first two iron maiden records with Paul Diano. It's oh, they're totally punk straight records. Straight 1970s I mean, he, punk. He's got spiky hair. He's wearing, you know, bullet belts and, and um, studded belts. And I mean, he looks like a punk rocker. I mean, yeah. Well, so, he was the polar opposite of Bruce Dickinson, yeah. who was, as I said earlier, kind of that overindulgent singer, right, yep. you know. And um, and they even tried to deny that. though We never had those punk roots. And Diano says they did. And right, you know, and then uh, Steve Harris says no, and you're like, All you're, right, like you're, you're like, I'm not deaf, I can hear the records, yeah, yeah, yeah like, exactly. You know, you're, you know, you know, if, if, if you're denying that, I think a lot of that too had to do with kind of the, as I said, the overindulgence of metal in the, the big arenas and the, yeah. the glam bands that were out, you know, like because you know, we're talking about good bands, like we're talking about, you know, like Slayer. You know, Slayer, Metallica, Misfits, you know, like all, all these bands that were like really great. And, but like at the, you look at what else is going on at the time, you know, Rat doesn't sound like right, it has yeah. a punk influence or no. everybody wanted but, to be Def Leppard. But you know what? <laughs> but, but Rat only happens because of Motley Crue. Correct. And Motley Crue has that. Um, Nikki Six has said before that he was influenced by all the punk bands in LA. Right. And then, you know, you've got Guns N' Roses, which straight up has. Uh, Duff, who was in the farts in Seattle, playing in a straight up hardcore punk band before he goes to be in Guns N' Roses. So it's all there. (laughs) All those people are entwined in all of that, you know? And and even to this day, you still have that. The drummer of Stone Sour came from the band Nausea from New York. So, you know, Nausea is like a hardcore political band that's like sort of that whole scene is what sparked all of Antifa. And everything that's political, you know, all this hard political stuff, and um, yeah, and, and that guy's in Stone Sour, <laughs> you know. So I think it's always weaved in and out, you know. I think that's a good perspective to have too, because you know, it's kind of a scene. You know, punk and metal are unfortunately infamous for spawning very elitist asshole type right. people. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Terry. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I do a whole show about I didn't it. Say yeah. It. Like, you know, it's fine. Uh, I say my some, job to say it. Yeah. I say some shit that sometimes might be regrettable, but you know, it is. How what do it you is. feel about Pantera, Dan? Uh, right. I'm not a big fan of Pantera, but you know, anyway, <laughs> I don't like tough guy shit. Like, let's, we'll just get it. I've out never of the liked way. that either. Like the, the hardcore scene that the New York hardcore, when it turned into like beating people up hardcore, yeah, I was beat just down like, hardcore, what the hell yeah. is this? Like, this isn't cool. Like, I don't know. And it's bands who came up, you know, uh, creating the stuff that turned into it. And right. you're, you're like, what the hell? And then Biohazard happened, and you're like, Ugh. What the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no thanks. Um, but, I'm tougher than you. But, of course, yeah. like, you know, I don't... When you're a musician, I think um, you can hear sh- ev- 
stuff and anything you can hear its merits um and give it its credit where it's due yeah um phil anselmo's a joke he's a running joke in our band uh we constantly <laughs> are in band practice uh you know maybe sometimes a little drunk and, and talking you know we'll we'll just be like fuck because like live i don't know why he does that he just yeah. like fuck or smoke weed and he you're doesn't like, know where what he is the fuck it this guy is crazy one time i swear there's a video on youtube i'm pretty sure he says smoke piss i don't even know what the fuck he's talking <laughs> smoke piss smoke piss i believe it i believe so it. anyway that that being said the drums and guitar work on uh vulgar display of power and uh, far beyond driven are fucking amazing i mean that's it. Like the the records are the vocals are terrible, uh, the fucking lyrics are atrocious. <laughs> but now we're talking about the Daryl Brothers. Exactly. No denying it. Now, have no, you and, listened and, to power metal? And uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, the hair so metal. So Phil the, the, can fucking sing. Yeah. He just stopped doing it for some reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and I mean, I listened to Damage Plan too. Uh, and anticipated going to see that until that happened. Yeah, right. Yeah. We don't have to get into that, but I didn't like it. You know, uh, it was kind of new metal. It if was. Eddie Van Halen wanted to play it. Hey, again, that's we, a compliment. We, we've come back to liking new metal a little bit on the Yeah, show. well, and that's yeah. the thing too is is I never um I don't believe in the guilty pleasure thing. Um I believe that you like what you like and and music uh, you, you know, you get attached to it for whatever reason. You know, uh, I listen to Corn, uh, you know, uh, Deftones and stuff. But I also saw those bands before they even had records. Right. You know, I saw the Deftones open for Bad Brains. Um, you know, before they even had Adrenaline out. Right. Um, I saw Corn open for Marilyn Manson on uh, Danzig Four Tour, uh, and uh, Danzig and Marilyn Manson. Uh, Marilyn Manson had just had his first record out, and Corn hadn't had a record out. Was this so, Spooky Kids or was it Antichrist Superstar? Uh, the first one, the family one. Beautiful stories for ugly children. Whatever the one is with the clay puppets, the clay That's stuff. That's the one, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, that was the first record. Yeah, so that was that tour. Danzig Four was out. Yeah, so right about that time then. So you know, like some things hit you a certain way. Like White Zombie, I always thought was boring. I never really liked them. Um, I saw them play in 92 with Danzig, and I fell asleep while they were playing. Oh, no. <laughs> Caius opened, and they were amazing. Caius. Caius is yeah. great. And then, you know, but I, I, I appreciate White Zombie for what they do. Uh, no slight against them, but they just weren't my thing, you know? Compared one-to-one, -one, they're absolutely not as cool as Rob Zombie. Right. But if you believe Rob Zombie, it was his idea to incorporate groove into rock which Faith No More gets credit for, kind of yeah. creating that 90s vibe. I'm not going to say new metal or rap metal, but yeah, I mean, know, epic know. is epic for a reason. You hear one note and you're already into it. And when you, yeah, and, but Faith No More will go to their graves saying that they want no part of new metal. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they, they were like, yeah, we're not, we don't care about these guys. They can go fuck themselves. Come on guys. <laughs> we know you care a lot. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and that's, that's what's hard, you know, like not believing in, in guilty pleasures. I had a very similar experience where we, you know, with, with discography discussion, we, we've talked about so many bands. We're like, what, like 140 bands or something at this point. Oh, sure. Wow. Whatever and you say. Yeah. It's a whole bunch. This episode <laughs> comes out when again? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> it could be different when it comes out. Yeah. Got but, your back done. Right. But, uh, I think uh, I think what's interesting is like so I had a very similar experience where we did an episode on Limp Biscuit, uh -huh. and you know I going into it was like 
oh, fuck, I don't want to listen to this. I don't want to listen to this band. Fred <laughs> right. Durst is this, or Fred Durst is that, and this right. band is. And I, you know, I listen to Three Dollar Bill, y'all. I listen to Significant Other, and I listen to Chocolate Starfish, you know. And I remember listening to it and being like, I don't actually like if you, if you don't really listen to the lyrics, like I don't hate this. Like right. this isn't as bad as it's advertised to be. Like the amount of hate that went into that band right. was just like it was everybody being tired of Fred Durst. And I, 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 I totally understand that. Yeah, but whenever I, you know, whenever I went back to it and listened to it in my 2019 years or whatever, I was like, I've heard way worse shit than this. Like, I listened to fucking grindcore and stuff, so like, I've heard way worse records than, right. than this. You know, like <laughs> Pig Destroyer. If Pig you've Destroyer, ever heard Nickelback yeah. in the mall, right? Yeah, jeez, oh, <laughs> you've heard way worse. Whatever, man. If I had the opportunity to to play shitty songs like Nickelback and make as much money as they do, I'd do it. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the catch twenty two of that situation, right? You know, give the man credit; he found a way to make money at playing rock. Yeah, yeah. but hearing those guys describe themselves on the point one time uh, in a weird blanket interview that they just sent out to radio stations that the radio station would dub their part into the interview. Yeah. Um, and he, he described his band as guys you wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley late at night. <laughs> I was fuck. Like, I don't know, dude, man. To me, when you, yeah, that, you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'd say more, I'd say that more about the guys from Sam Hain, you know? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. These like, guys, you're like, what? Yeah, you guys would, what, help me put my groceries back in my bag? Right. Like, <laughs> you need help, eh? I know he's not blind because he said he never made it as a blind man. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting how all that works. And so, you know, speaking speaking to elitism or, or trueness <clears throat> or, or whatever it is, you know. Right. So, you know, Bastard Squad exists in 1997 for a limited period of time. Right. You guys take a 22-year hiatus. Right. Because life got in the way. I actually raised a family in that time. Yeah. So I have, you know, a, a family of six that we grew up and, you know, that's what I did. I kind of stepped away from everything. Dude, are you sure you don't actually know how to time travel? Yeah, no, I just know. checking. Me and him just became best friends. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going through the same thing because I had played music for a while and then uh, raised a family, and we started doing the podcast just so I could be like, I got to have some kind of stamp on music, right. you know? Yeah, see, I mean, I I had a few things here and there uh, projects um, that uh, you know never really got off the ground or or went past practicing in my garage, um, and then um, the kids started moving out. And you start to realize that I'm, you know, 40, 41, and you're like, well, what do I do now? Like, uh, I guess try to do some of the shit I used to do, which I put on pause to raise a family. Now everybody's healthy, you know, teenagers and, and you know, my son's going to be 21 in January. So you're like, you know, let's do this. And unfortunately, yeah. that might clash with what you had going on as far as your family life. So... Um, it caused some ripples and one thing led to another and, you know, I ended up back in St. Louis and right. now I do all of this full time and, you know, it's the record store, the band and endless events uh, yeah. from a movie night I put on every month at Heavy Anchor, which is called Cinematic Chaos. Um, put that on the calendar. Yeah, we're, we're actually showing right our, next to Late Night Grindhouse. Yep. Yeah. So Late Night Grindhouse <laughs> is actually uh, this next weekend coming up. Uh, well, on on the seventh and eighth of December, I don't know when this will come out, but uh, and on the um, the seventeenth, Tuesday, the seventeenth of December, we're showing Ernest Saves Christmas. Nice, <laughs> very nice. Right. That's so awesome. it's a it's a punk rock themed movie event. All of them have been, you know, it's uh, Night of the Comet, uh, uh, Night of the Demons, 
we showed Decline of Western Civilization and, and Suburbia and stuff like that. I um, tried for so long to get him to show Street Soldiers uh-huh. at a late night grindhouse. Uh, it's been a few months since I've been able to actually go, but you know, I've got all these obscure movies in my brain from when I was a kid, and my mom had a friend who worked at a distribution house in California. Nice. So I have a stack of promotional VHS tapes of these weird movies that exist somewhere, but they are hard to find today. I'd, I'd love to see this stack. That's pretty cool. So if you can imagine this movie made... I think it's made in Germany, but it's about Los Angeles teenagers who have their own gang who fight a group of guys who were in a gang when they were teenagers and bloodshed ensues. Why are we doing this fucking interview? Why aren't we just watching <laughs> so, yeah, that exactly. right Can now? we just yeah. watch that and talk about So is it Greasers versus Punk Rockers? Greasers in the 90s, so, you know, Letterman jackets, and we go to high school. Like, legit. Weird. We just go to high school. It's called Gre- Street Soldiers. Greasers in L.A. in the 90s. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I, we gotta watch that movie. Yeah, that's that's. Well, we do have movie mosh, so you know, <laughs> it can yeah. still happen. We just launched a, a movie podcast where we we talk about weird movies. Fucking and dude, cool. we're talking about yeah. punk rock. I'm putting on Sam Hain. Yeah, well, now yeah. I have a place no, I can Sam go. Sam Hain is always appreciated. Yeah. Now, now I've got a place that I can uh, I can go and, and pick up those movies too. You know, so yep. that's cool. Uh, but you know w- what I was getting at with the whole you know you take 22 years off, you come back, and you're like, okay, I want to do this band again, right? You know what is, uh, you know, you look at the you look at the current state of punk rock and hardcore, and you put this record out. Is this the record that you always wanted to make, or is this uh, we kind uh, of just taking newer influences? Yeah. And we didn't think of it like that. Um, more so, I keep saying that it's organic. Um, <clears throat> I didn't feel like we were trying to do anything. Um, we just. It just all happened. Uh, it seemed like everybody was kind of on the same page when we were writing the songs. So everything progressed. Um, and we wrote about a song a month for the first year-ish. Not even... I, th- I think I gave us a cap of the end of March was like when we were going to be done. So whatever we had by the end of March. And we went in the studio and recorded 16 tracks in two days, which was really ambitious. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I thought, well, we're going to do it like... You used to do it, and we're just going to go in live and just start hammering it out. And we did that, and then we realized that, well, no, that's not exactly how it works. And, and you know, we had to go back and kind of fix stuff. A guitarist left. We picked up two new guitarists, so we made it a five-piece, and then we finished the record and um, redid all the guitars and, and everything. But uh, we kept the drum and bass tracks because they were perfect. Where'd you guys record? Uh, encapsulated Studios in Maplewood. Okay. Um, with Gabe... Usery, and he records everybody. Very nice. Uh, he's he's so, so solid. I mean, if you've heard the record at all, yeah, that's a credit to him. You know, like when that was like one of those things where you listen to it after it's done, and you're like, "This is what we sound like." <laughs> like, I don't. What kind of magic did you work? Is this Hell a yeah. different yeah. band? <laughs> all I did was turn the mics up, man. You guys did all you're the like, work. You took my vocals because I remember singing it, <laughs> right? But yeah, you you put it over this other band, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and it, 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 but it, no, it blew us away. Like the work that he did, I mean, it's it's incredible. And I was just li- letting a friend of mine, you know, uh, fellow St. Louis local musician guy, uh, listen to it today at, in the shop, and yeah, and his assessment was, you know, that in his mind, I'm not saying this for me, but <laughs> but he said uh, that he thinks the record sounds like everybody's going to have to step up <laughs> and it raises the bar <laughs> on what everybody's been doing at, right now uh 
maybe in a local level, I don't know, but, you know, just in punk rock in general. I so. did some work a couple of years ago for Perfect People. I don't even know if they're a group anymore. Uh, grew up with the guy who was doing uh, lead vocals for him. That was my introduction to hardcore punk. Uh-huh. The idea of the band gets up there for literally 20 minutes, plays 12 songs, yeah. minute and a half. You're lucky if they even have two verses. Right. And... I didn't know that that existed. Yep. Because I'm a Clash fan, late 70s. Right. Throw the Samhain in, throw the Misfits, Motorhead, absolutely. So I'm used to it at least somewhat resembling a song. Right. Oh, no, there's a whole different group of cassette obsessed 90 minute sets with five bands playing that yeah. I never did that. I was always preparing for the 45 minute set list. Right. And that's, and so we kind of teeter between the two. Like, if you look at our record, I think there's um, three or four songs that are all about a minute. Um, And that's us touching into that thing, which is what Bastard Squad was in the 90s. More, you know, quick fire stuff like that, one minute songs than you were one, you know. Then, uh, of course, when we start with all the uh, music knowledge that we have since, it's almost like uh, we're starting to get to that. It's two minutes, two minutes, 30 is kind of like the comfortable point to making right. a nice song. You've got all of everything you need in a two-and-a-half-minute song, you know? Um, and then, of course, on that record, we actually have a five-and-a-half-minute long song. So, right. <laughs> which also feels comfortable, and nobody ever seems weirded out by a five-and-a-half-minute long song by a punk band. But, you know, we just kind of do our own thing well, and it's without nothing, worrying about all that, you know? Nothing against anybody. The times have driven us to the 10 song records that are 30 minutes but right i always enjoyed the punk albums that were yeah they're 30 35 minutes but yeah there's 12 to 15 songs on right there. yeah we got 12 songs in 29 minutes on ours i miss the longer <laughs> records <laughs> I, I really do i understand why we don't have them but I, I miss them i miss this idea that yeah there's a few deep cuts in here instead of one or two deep cuts right and it wasn't uh intentional to <clears throat> to keep the record short i mean like i said we had 16 tracks when we went in right and uh you know three of them were covers um we actually did a cover of uh chromax hard times which is on the the demo tape um and numbers by the addicts and then we did a cover of misfits um i turned into a martian which it hasn't been anywhere yet and we're actually saving it for a special release seven inch single Possibly. <laughs> Cassette tape I find on my doorstep, maybe? Yeah. So it's a, it, it, but, uh, yeah, so we, we, you know, it was 13 songs. We cut one and ended up with what we had. But it basically came down to uh, when we wanted to go in the studio and putting a time cap on what we were doing. So whatever we had at the end of March in this year was what we were going to go in the studio with. So, you know, no more time. <laughs> we, right. we had what we had. And of course, going into the, what we're doing now, we're already, you know, I want to say we're a good uh, eight songs deep, and we haven't even really started. We've got two that we're working on that will be ready for the, the record release show, which is coming up December 28th. And then um, we've got a whole barrage of songs that are ready. So by the time we get to studio time this time, we're actually going to have a large pool to pull from and do something fun like an EP or something in between the, this record and the next one. Way to keep 90s pace. You're yeah. already <laughs> preparing for the next album, and the yeah. new one hasn't even come out yet. No. And, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I'd love to be a, 
the type of band that can release a record every year. <laughs> that would definitely be really cool. And, you know, something that I'm kind of in the dark about that you may have a little, be able to shine a little bit more light on. Yeah. What is the what is the current punk rock or hardcore scene like in St. Louis now? I mean, I, like I said, I'm a dad, so, like, I don't get to do much. Right. <laughs> you know? To me, I feel like it's thriving. Um, there's a lot of bands. Um, everybody seems to be doing well. Um, everybody's recording, most of them at Encapsulated with Gabe. Um, lots of records coming out every year. Um, and we play with as many bands as we can, you know. Uh, and <clears throat> we, we put on our own shows and events, so uh, we'll pull from this large pool of bands, you know. Like, and everybody, like I said, it, it, it's a good time. You know, there's no real... Um, the one thing in the 90s, there was a lot of, like, ag aggressiveness. Uh, you know, a lot of negative energy... And that's not there anymore. You know, I don't really feel the the negative or the uh, nobody's trying to fight anybody. Nobody's at war. You know, we're all getting everybody gets along. We all play together, and um, and and there's a variety of punk bands from you know like garagey punk stuff that sounds like rock and roll garage type all the way to you know the the Cherokee Street basement show. You know, uh, kind of like. That they would hate if you called it crusty, but you know, like the crust punk stuff sure. is still around. It's just changed a bit, you know. Yeah, and, right. Uh, and um, that's what just what I call it by default because I was that's what I was into in the '90s, you know. Um, but yeah, it, it it's vast and it and it's there's a lot. So and it's all everything's great. So do you feel like Bastard Squad coming back was remembered by people, or is it like more like you're just out there with the new bands? Like as a new band, like it's, it's been a mix. Um, we have heard feedback from a few people that'll be like, "Oh, I saw you guys back in the day. Um, oh, I remember that name or whatever." But um, most of it is is you know everything that's been built in the last year and, and a quarter. You know, like just kind of sure starting over. It's it's a brand new band, so we're treating it like as if you know we just started, and you know, and the progression has been great, and the growth and the. Uh, and we appreciate everybody even caring <laughs> like enough for us to feel like we should release a record you know sure do you think that the camaraderie that exists now in the present day is more just that like these styles of music aren't necessarily out there to push as far as they possibly can anymore like it, it you know because like you back in the 80s and 90s you know the punk bands would start playing as fast as humanly possible. Right. Everybody was trying to be faster than everybody else. Right. And then, you know, sometime in the 90s, everybody's like, well, I'm fucking chunkier than you are. Right. You know, so I'm going to fucking lay down crunches <laughs> and shit. And, right, yeah. And then you had these weirdos that were all like, well, I'm just going to play dissonant shit. Right. You know, yeah. you know, and it just, you know, up, one, up, one, up, one, up, one, up, one, right. up. And so... I feel like it's all of that now is there. And all everybody's doing their own unique thing. It's not... Nobody's trying to outdo you know it, it, it's not like that at all it's everybody's trying to just be their own thing you know and uh and it, you know there's no i don't i don't see the competition thing there's to me there's no competition it's just we're all there to have fun you know sure. and and what would you be playing this for if you weren't enjoying it you know right no doubt yeah and uh you know what whatever is is you know if if you get a crowd you get a crowd and if you don't i mean we'll play a show in front of five people i mean we have you know <laughs> uh it just is what it, you know whoever shows up and we it, it you appreciate even one person caring sure and um and or one band wanting to share the stage with you you know so 
Well, and I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit uh, since we're we're coming down on the on the last uh, last couple of legs. Um, you know, one of the biggest things about the shop that really pulled me in was uh, not only not only an awesome diverse record section. I mean, I can't I cannot stress how much it is how great it is for somebody like me to go into a shop that actually has shit that I like. Right. You know, like that's 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 the hard sell. Right. Uh, but the other thing too is is the horror aspect of it. I know you guys sell video games too, which uh, uh, we could talk about a little bit later. But the uh, the horror aspect, like you have a whole horror section. Yep. And um, you know what what uh, what got you into horror stuff as a kid? I assume uh, it's as a kid. You know, but he's like, I started watching horror when I was thirty three. Yeah, no, it was a, it was when I was a kid, and I I remember uh, my earliest horror memory um, has to be. Seeing the, um, I mean, you know, other than maybe like Thriller, you know, everybody, you know, saw Thriller, but but like more like um, <clears throat> I remember being um, really remembering the seeing the box art for Halloween uh, at Mr. T Video yeah. in St. Louis, like just seeing that, and and you know what is that, you know, and and your parents are like, you don't want to see that, <laughs> you it's know, unpleasant. Yeah, don't don't watch that. And then of course, you know, uh, it was that. And, um, you know, things like Ghostbusters and Gremlins when you were a kid were acceptable, so you could watch those things. And Channel 11 um, used to show horror movies on the weekends, so I would watch those whenever you could be up and nobody would catch you staying up watching horror movies all night, you know, double features or whatever, or even movies like Penitentiary 3 and... Oh, <laughs> shit, yeah. You know, shit like that. <laughs> like you, you know, your Channel 11 showed some pretty gnarly shit, you know? I think yeah. I saw Night of the Comet on there for the first time. Um, but yeah, that, and, and the movie Repo Man, uh, really, you know, helps a lot of it. Um, that, that actually, so when I was growing up, I actually lived in St. Louis and Los Angeles, uh, back and forth a few times. My dad always wanted us to be in Los Angeles for whatever reason. He wanted to live in California. So we'd go out there and they would try it every few years as I was growing up. Um, so of course, like all of that K-Rock stuff, uh, uh, Night Flight, um, Rhonda Shears up all night, um, stuff like that, you know, the weirdo movies. And then, of course, Repo Man was like just a dub tape that we had at the house that I could watch whenever when yeah. I was growing up. And that that's kind of probably a lot of it. You know, the Repo Man really, if you can get into Repo Man when you're young, you almost like it's like an open door to get into anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so it was like Star Wars and Repo Man. <laughs> and then, of course, you know, when, you know, get into the horror stuff. And then, you know, when you get to be in your teen years and you get all your buddies around and you go to video stores, you're like, what can we rent that's the most <laughs> fucked, fucked up, up yeah. shit, you know? And, and you know, that's when you start going, you know, seeing all the shit. That's how we saw Evil Dead 2, you know, shit like that. Yeah, that's... for. I watched Repo Man for the first time with my dad, actually. It was definitely one of those, nice. like, don't tell your mother, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, it's not even that Repo Man's the most fucked up movie, but no. it just get It instills this love of weirdness yep. in you. Yeah. That that other movies really couldn't capture. No, and I, I'd say that uh, I always say this, but my top favorite movie of all time is hands down Repo Man. Um, and my favorite horror movie of all time is Creep Show. I actually think you know I know a lot of people will say The Shining. Sure, The Shining is great, but Creep Show. It, it's also like that. It's like Repo Man. It's a it's a weird movie. It's got you know interesting atmosphere and and elements that other horror movies just didn't do you know and well it's fun too it's fun yeah and that should be repo man's also fun you know what i mean it's chaotic it's punk rock it's fun it's crazy 
<laughs> it's also fun watching the uh, watching the edited for TV dub. I almost enjoy watching that yeah. more because the Repo Man one. Yeah, yeah. Of, the, of the weird edits. <laughs> that it's the first time I heard Melon Farmer. On, yeah. uh, you know, Alex, <laughs> Alex Cox actually said that he wrote the script for the TV edit, and so he actually wanted it to be that like those silly, you know, uh, alternate cuss words. It was all him. Yeah. It's hilarious. It's just like hold it right there, Melon Farmer. Yeah, and it's, it's like it's amazing, hilarious to me. And uh, that was the version that I watched because I think Dad and I watched it on TV. And you know, it's he. Uh, my dad was always really cool. We we grew up religious, really religious, right? And um, and it, it took me about like the first seven years of my life. My dad was like the most terrifying human being that I ever met because he was like a combination of super religious, super strict, you know. And then, but like. I remember you like, mentioned the bullets. Oh, well, we'll talk about that later. But, uh, <laughs> but that's a whole different podcast. But no, I remember you know, like hitting like seven, eight years old, and I was like walking around the house because we had nothing to do. We were like deeply religious, so we had no TV. Like they were mm. anti-TV. And, yeah. Like my sister couldn't cut her hair and shit, and like it was crazy. And right. What was funny is uh, I'm like wandering around the house because I got I got shit else to do, <laughs> and. Uh, I, I, I find my dad's old record collection. It's like shit like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Boston and stuff. And my that was the very first time like my dad was like, you can listen to these, but like not when your mom's around. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was whenever I was like, oh, a- okay, so he's actually cool. Right. He just is trying to shield me from stuff, I guess, as a kid, you know. Right. And, uh, but yeah, so we, what I, we started doing is like, I, I went to bed at like nine o'clock every night, and then my dad would stay up and watch whatever fucked up shit was on. You know, <laughs> yeah. like that was after they decided the TV was actually fine. <clears throat> right. You know, um, and so he'd stay up and watch these these late night horror movies and stuff, and uh, or, or just weird B movies. And uh, one night I got up at like ten o'clock, and I was like, "Hey, what are you doing?" He's like, "He's like, you want to watch this movie?" And I was <laughs> like, "Yeah, of course," because you're like eight and it's your dad, and you know, you're yep. like, yeah, fuck yeah, let's do it, you know. And uh, it went just like that. Yeah, yeah. I, didn't, <laughs> yeah dad. I didn't say fuck yeah, dad. He's you like, get the see fuck anybody, back to bed. We're gonna see anybody get fucking disemboweled tonight. Yeah, like you know. Well, it became that way after a few years of doing yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Know? But uh, yeah, we we watched Repo Man, and it was just the it was the most because that movie that movie is so fucking surreal in places like that. That's the thing that that really grabs me with that movie is you cannot predict what's gonna happen. Yeah. You know, like you start off watching a totally different movie than you end with. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and like, and that that instilled a love for me, especially with like B grade movies. Like, you, like you, you figured out after a while that the movies that you liked the most weren't good. Right, right. You, you know, like in in the traditional sense, they were not. They're not going to change anybody's life or worldview or right. anything like yeah. that. But uh, that I loved those. They kind were of ambitious, movies. though. Mm-hmm. They took chances uh, that most other you know directors or writers wouldn't take because they're afraid or the studio would say no you know yeah. they took they took risks that their budget could not accommodate for yeah, yeah. yeah. well and, and that's still the way i feel about film to the to this day like my favorite stuff is the stuff where people would just the director or the writer or whatever would rather take the chances than uh take the easy way out you know for instance my personal favorite director right now that's alive i i always say this i make a distinction alive because george romero is dead so i can't say george romero is my favorite living director anymore but but guillermo del toro is amazing and um i mean he made shape of water with 16 million dollars it looks like it's got 150 million in it he didn't pay himself he did everything as cheaply as possible. Everybody, you know, was in on the the event um, to make it happen. And 
that's going against the system. You know, that's doing it the way that you feel it needs to be done so you can get the result that you want. Right. Which is what Alex Cox did with Repo Man. You know, he, he wasn't, he was doing his, you know, and I appreciate that. Uh, all of that to me can go into making the film experience even more, uh, you know, amazing. Uh, all of the, uh, what goes into a thing, you know, rather than it just being like, oh, these guys just had unlimited money and could make whatever they wanted, you know? Right. When it comes to horror, I love James Wan. He yeah. is the yeah. only living director that can actually scare me to this right. date. It took me a good 12 years because it only recently happened where I could sit down and watch a James Wan film. Uh-huh. And kind of know what his pattern is. Right. But everything up until now, like, I still question if Insidious is truly the scariest film ever made. But uh, I wasn't alive when The Exorcist was a new thing, so right. I feel like it's an unfair comparison. Yeah, and, it, and that is true. Like, uh, I actually personally think that, to me, the most effective uh, creepy horror film I've ever seen was uh, this movie called Session 9. Um, Bravo. And, uh, Holy shit! Okay, so, so session nine is to me is the we're not talking about the deleted scenes, right? Where they no, kind of change no, the plot. No, that's bullshit. That, yes, thank you. That, that's just pure <laughs> bullshit. The, the movie solely the reason why I feel like it resonates the creepiness is because of the fact that you you don't really understand what the fuck's going on, and then even when you get the understanding of what the hell's going on, you're like, wait, was this a ghost? Like, is it a supernatural or is it just? A psychological movie, it's got these layers, and also it's shot in the Danvers Mental Hospital, which was actually, you know, falling apart at the time when they yeah. shot it, and when you watch the uh, documentary about the movie, they're talking about how all this really fucked up shit happened while they were filming it. Like, so it was legit creepy for them, too, and I yeah. feel like that comes across in the movie. Like, you know, it, you feel it, you know? It and does. The first time you watch it, it's paced. Yeah, painfully yeah. And, slow. And the uh, the voice, the overdub voice stuff, the uh, the the reels, the the deterioration on the um, the voice when it's talking on the tapes, all that stuff plays into it because you know horror is all about sound. Soundscape yeah. is one hundred percent how you even get a creepy horror film. You know, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre doesn't really have a creepy sound track. It just has a lot of creepy noises. <laughs> it yeah, ambient yeah, sounds. Right. Yeah, which is why it it's unnerving because of the the bone breaking stuff. You know, like that stuff. And but yeah, it's all sound. You know, that's what really what it comes down to. It's part visual, but mostly it's the sound <clears throat> and totally. the soundtrack, the score, or whatever. So. Um, I, I love that you brought that movie up, Joe and I. That's it's one of our favorites. Yeah, like it's absolutely one of the best, and it has a, an unintentionally hilarious line that we could not ever stop repeating. <laughs> oh, where he's like, "Hey, Gordon, yeah, fuck you." Yeah. Like, it's just like, and like, it's not that funny. It's not that funny with me just saying it, but like when you watch it in the movie, it almost stands out as like almost the only comic relief moment in yeah. that movie at all, dude. If you went to YouTube right now and played the clip of uh, "Do It Gordy," uh, seriously, "Do It Gordy," yeah, do yeah. it, Gordon, do it, it, and it's like yeah. louder than the rest of the movie, and it's yes. just the way that they 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 made that sound. It's uh, it's terrifying even to listen to right now. If you play it, in what these leads up to it is even worse. Yeah, yeah. The, all of the the movie, yeah, it builds and it's perfect. Like. To me, it is the uh, quintessential creepy horror film. And then, of course, if I go back further, I actually, my next favorite creepiest movie probably is The Changeling. 
Yeah, which, oh, yeah. Uh, I feel also effectively builds exactly the same kind of creepiness. Yeah, absolutely. Here it is. Oh, he's playing it. Okay. Oh, yeah, we could do multimedia on the podcast. I forgot. Do it, gorgeous. You forget how bad it is. See? Oh, that It's just weird sounding. It's it's the way that they made it. Well, you knew that was going <laughs> to happen. Do, it's just, yeah, there's something. But, you know, that movie does that. And, you know, um, the same way it is when you watch Cannibal Holocaust for the first time. <clears throat> you know, you're you're it bu- it's built up as this disgusting... They killed a fucking turtle, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On screen. And it's, it's brutal. The movie's brutal. And the visuals are brutal. The soundtrack's brutal. Everything's brutal. But it's also... One of my all-time favorites. Um, <clears throat> it's not... I don't think it deserves the disgusting hate it gets. I think that it's actually a legit film that's actually well-made. Totally. And it, But it is gross. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the point of the movie. You know, you're... What happens if you get eaten by cannibals? <laughs> right. This is a... It's not pretty. Yeah. Yeah, so, and that's definitely... Yeah, that's awesome. The Changeling is the Changeling, also yes. one of my favorites. Um, yeah, I just... Uh, it's so funny you say Session 9 because we, we bought, oh, we didn't buy it. We um, rented it, I think. That's back when Blockbuster was still yep. a thing, yep. man. Yeah, and we would, me and my buddy Mike and Joe would go up to the video store and just, again, we'd just go pick out the most fucked up shit we could yep. find. And I remember actually making fun of Session 9 because I was saying some elitist prick thing about like, oh, God, what is this? This is probably some fucking made-for-TV bullshit mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. that doesn't, you know, and Mike's like, no, I think we should get it. And I was like, ah, no, that's two whole dollars, man. You know, I don't know <laughs> if I can, I don't know if I can, I can scrounge that up, you know, yep. and all this shit. And uh, we took it home and watched it, and we were just like, at the end of the movie, we were just like, oh, my God. Like, what what, what the fuck did I just watch? And then we watched the deleted scenes, and we were like, fuck yeah, those yeah, deleted yeah, that's scenes. Such yeah, such bullshit. Um, this movie, this movie, that that's actually a good example of, though, like, they deleted those scenes because they knew it would make the yeah. movie suck balls. Yeah. And, um, you know, speaking of Juan, uh, he directed, uh, wrote and directed the first uh, Conjuring. And so the Conjuring is probably, if you were talking in the last 10 years, the Conjuring is probably my favorite one of the creepiest movies um to me insidious is great but i always thought insidious was too clean um the uh, the atmosphere there's no uh the building that you know it's like an apartment and it's like everything's clean and it and i guess that's a creepy in its own way but i always like the 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 old you know period houses or you know like everything's falling apart so like you know it it's an element like why session nine works for me but um, I give The Conjuring, you know, is the two I didn't really think did the, what the first one did. Uh, I think they relied too much on trying to build a dumb universe with putting all right. these characters in there that they were going to spin off into different movies. Yeah. Which felt way really heavy handed. But the first one is pure awesome horror, you know. Well, that was made in the same house, I thought. He made another movie in that same set, and they basically just painted the house. Oh, wow. I might be thinking of Insidious 2, and I just don't yeah, realize so- it. Uh, all the Insidious movies are, to me, are cool. Um, was Insidious Four the key? I believe so. Um, I like that because Lynn Shea is the star, and uh, well, it's, I mean, she's like the co-star, but right. Uh, you don't ever; she never gets her due, you know. And and she's great. Well, we caught him in 2004 from the original Saw. I found a right, synopsis yeah. online. 
read the first paragraph about two guys chained up in a room, and that's the whole movie. Right. Called him, said, what are you doing right now? we got to go see this movie. Yeah, I mean, I was watching everything as it came out. I still do that. I I know that a lot of these horror movies, modern horror movies, are going to be terrible, but I still go to the theater and see them on opening night if I can. Um, and I did the same thing then. I saw, uh, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses on opening night. I saw uh, um, 28 Days Later, um, American Psycho, uh, anything that I could get, you know, go see. And I saw um, Saw, and then I never watched another one. <laughs> <laughs> because having sat through all seven, I think, there's only one that you need to watch. <laughs> I, I felt what I felt was I felt that Saw was more in tune with a, a procedural thriller than it was a horror film. And when they were selling it early on, the trailers tried to they just kept showing the creepy doll on the tricycle, and they kept acting like it was a, a true horror film. So when I went, I thought I was going to see a horror film, and then you see it's more like a cop, yeah, you know, thriller. The mystery, you know, and you're like, well, this isn't really a horror movie. It's one of those with movies a, now. Uh, what is it? Uh, Shalomon style plot twist at the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I always think that, like, I think, I, I know that everybody just lumps thriller mostly into horror. Um, and I always feel like there's a big distinction because the way I always looked at it was, this could be wrong, but horror is supernatural or monsters or things that can't happen and yeah i agree thrillers are reality based so threat slasher movies are thrillers they're not horror films but a monster movie is a horror film you know what i mean because a thriller can happen that's like on the edge of your seat well the killer's gonna get you know uh, like the difference between like uh you know like a michael myers versus a freddy krueger right where yeah. Freddy Krueger, it's all deeply in fantasy. Until you get to Halloween 4. <laughs> and then it's like... Or Halloween 3, of course, is a horror film. But uh, because that's Season of the Witch? Yeah, yeah, Season of the Witch. So, But 1 and 2, you know, and then you get... After that, it turns into a succession of... Now uh, Michael Myers is a monster. How annoying, I mean? how annoying was that, though? Because, like... I loved the idea of Halloween being like an anthology type yeah, me too. series of movies. So, like, I was hoping every Halloween movie was going to be a different story. Yeah. Kind of like what American Horror Story does on, yeah. on their seasons where it's a different, you know. Um, and that, that show is very hit or miss. But it's, you know, when it hits, it hits good. I, I love I love anthologies. Going back to what you said about Creepshow, you know, like yep. it being an anthology of horror. And uh, what I actually like about shit like Creepshow is that it's like... It's still fun, yeah, to a certain yeah. degree. Like I, I, I talk so much shit about cheesiness in music, right? But I love cheesiness in movies sometimes, right? And uh, I do feel like with modern horror, that's kind of starting to become lost. Yeah, there was a movie Joe and I watched, well, like last year or maybe it was two years ago. It was when the video game store closed. Uh, right before that, what was that movie called? Do you remember? Fuck. I'm like blanking out bad. Uh, I mean, they're still it out there. Destroy the skull, or I don't remember if it was called Destroy <laughs> the Skull or not. Crush the skull. Okay, yeah. So we watched a movie called Crush the Skull, and it was not a good movie. Right. Like, let's not like you know mince words here, but it was hilarious. <clears throat> like there were so many fucking jokes. Right. In the movies where it's like, oh my god, the cops are outside. You know, the first thing they're going to say is, like, get the fuck on your hands and knees and, and, and don't move, fuckhead, or something like that. And then the cops show up, and they throw them on the ground, and they're like, get on your fucking hands and knees. Right. Don't move, yeah, fuckhead. Yeah. Or, yeah, like, it was well, just so funny. I think uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil did a good job with that. 
Um, Shaun of the Dead obviously did. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, more recent, I mean, Tusk. Uh, yeah, Kevin yeah. Smith's horror films have been great. Loved it. Um, yeah, I don't even, you know, and I'm I'm biased with Kevin Smith, so like, you know, Yoga Hoser is fun to me. I don't care. Like, again, he's another guy that does exactly what he wants, doesn't ask for permission, um, you know, and when he tried to get into the Hollywood system, it just didn't work because it's not yeah. in his blood, you know, that right. Cop Out was a piece of crap. Um, it's got some interesting things, but it's not a Kevin Smith movie. It just right. feels like, you know, he was trying to appease something or get into a, the system, you know. Well, it's like with these directors, they're like, yeah, here, make this movie. You've got infinite money. Right. But with every single dollar, there's a fucking caveat. Right. You know, like, okay, but you can't do this. Right. You have to do and this. That, yeah, and it's someone else's money. And then another movie he did uh, with, like, Zach and Miri make a porno, which he did uh, thinking he would, you know, I've got Seth, you know, uh, Rogan, and this is going to be a hit. And you're like, yeah, but the one thing is, is that it's still a Kevin Smith movie in the end. So even if you have all the elements and he makes it true to him, it's still only going to resonate with the Kevin Smith fan base, which I think he figured out now. You know, now he's kind of figured out, like, I have a fan base. I don't have to try to reach farther because, you know, right. other people just aren't going to get him. He, his reach can only go so far before people are like, e yeah. His best movies are always when he has something to say. Yeah. And talking about horror movies and thrillers, Red State was amazing. Was amazing. Yeah. This movie that he wrote because his brother is gay and he doesn't have a problem with his brother and there exists a group of people in the world that fundamentally will who just actually tear you down for protested his uh things. Yeah. They absolutely. actually were outside I was there at a couple of his events when they did that stuff in uh, Kansas City. But watch that movie visually. And Dave also, Klein gets to move that camera around, yeah. and all of a sudden, you're there. And um, he also, that was also uh, Malcolm Ingram, was his uh, buddy who kind of sparked that idea. If you listen to any of his podcasts, he talks oh, yeah. about this stuff endlessly. But, you know, um, yeah, I mean, that Red State is f f fucking amazing. I mean, it's brutal, too. That opening scene with the uh, the kid tied to the cross, and yeah. they put the pl plastic around his face, and they shoot it in the top of his head, and you just see the plastic filled with blood, and you're like, this is a fucking Kevin Smith movie. Like, yeah. <laughs> the fuck is going on? Right. You know? Yeah. No, I and I can agree with that. You know, having a gay brother and uh -huh. being raised in a predominantly religious household. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, none of that was easy for him. Yeah, no. None of it. You know, and um, that, yeah, that movie definitely spoke to me. Yeah. Quite a bit. And it's weird because when you think about Kevin Smith movies, you're not like, oh, that movie spoke to me. But like when you really think about it, like I mean, yeah, Clerks even is as dumb as Clerks is, it's a movie about being content with what you have. Right. You know, like it has a message and it has a meaning. And I feel like with these more mainstream Hollywood movies, you don't get that. It's just how do we get butts in the seats? Yeah. And, you know? and all the people are always beautiful and glamorized. And Kevin Smith's people are not. I mean, it's almost like uh, maybe like I would say like a nerdier version of John Waters. John Waters definitely focuses on like the kind of the most gnarly people or yeah. like, you know, and and it's cool. Like, you know, Waters is he's definitely one of the forefront of independent filmmaking, you know, with, yeah. after dudes like Ed Wood and shit. But, you know, so are you saying Pink Flamingos is a thriller? <laughs> it, it definitely, I will say that Pink Flamingos is thrilling. <laughs> there it is, it's terrifying. <laughs> it's uh, but you know, Waters tried to play in the system too, and now he doesn't make movies anymore, which I think is you know it's your downfall. You know when you try to appease 
an audience or a system and then you're like and that then that goes back to what we're talking about with the music too you know like you can do that and if that makes you feel good or you want to make the money or whatever but you know in the end people will eventually figure it out and then you know you get called a fucking joke and then you get invited to play a black metal fest so people can throw rocks at you which happened to nickelback so right exactly <laughs> right you know that was obviously intentional nobody accidentally booked nickelback at a fucking black metal fest. Do you guys want to hear some rock and roll or you guys want to go home? <laughs> yeah. yeah Everybody's throwing rocks at you, dude. Like fucking I'm... walks off stage. That's the very first time I've ever felt really bad for Chad Kroger with his with his millions of dollars. You know, like it's just Yeah, that was a setup. That had to <laughs> somebody was like, This is gonna be amazing. <laughs> somebody just wanted the YouTube video. Yeah. They just wanted that to go viral, you know. What's um, that user account again? It says Dan. FT. No, it wasn't me. It was not <laughs> yeah. me. But uh, I wish it was me. But you know, I feel like yeah. You know, do you? Uh, if other people like it, then you know, and that's the store. You know, that's that's everything that I do. You know, to wrap it all back around to what we're talking about here is you know, from the store to the band to the to the uh, movie nights to doing this podcast. I mean, it's all just you know, doing things that you feel is all part of what you you know feel you know who you are you know and representing who you are period totally that's it that's what it comes down to yeah (laughs) well no man i appreciate you taking the time out to talk to us tonight you know this was this was fun i like having fun conversations about things that that we all can collectively enjoy i think i think one of the one of the things about our society nowadays is that everybody is so defined by their stances or yeah. the you know their way of life like you know what the fuck are these metal guys doing talking to this punk rock guy right, you know right. what i mean like or you anything know anything like, like that but yeah. then but then you know we sit down and we have a conversation and we realize actually that we have a lot in common mm. yep you know and that 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 is the essence of this show and the essence of of what we try to do is we're trying to build relationships and build bridges and you know like you know um we all love the same shit yeah. and uh you know if we don't if we don't all have each other then the what <laughs> what do we exactly. have you know and uh but yeah guys the record space if you're local to st louis and you're listening to this podcast check them out guys this is an awesome record store you know even if you're not there for music you can find awesome movies there you can find video games toys toys memorabilia yeah. cool shit yeah i think that like you could have just called the store cool shit and <laughs> yeah, that would have yeah, been yeah. you know like you can uh you can watch a live band um you can stop in and just have a conversation while we stand around watching godzilla totally uh yeah i mean you know it's it's meant to be a hangout you know totally so did we need to have movie mosh at we the record to, space yeah. mo- with godzilla at, yeah there you yeah. go <laughs> yeah that would be amazing um and and you know if you guys ever want to uh pick a band uh you know i would obviously pick the misfits if you want to go that route yeah we could we, we <laughs> could probably put that on the schedule we we could probably, yeah. yeah we could probably make that happen coming in 2020 uh, we, we, or, or really i would probably say danzig um danzig's career is what i would probably focus on because i i feel like a lot of times uh the artist's career is all encompassing you know yeah. i don't see it as different it's just all steps whether it's you know Danzig or Morrissey or whatever you know sure. you go through the different bands and the eras, but it's just getting to it's all the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than that, if you guys you know the record comes out December twenty eighth, Bastard Squad at uh, the record release show is at the Ready Room. Um, hopefully this goes up before then. I'll make uh, it happen for you. <laughs> we can make it happen. And, um, yeah, so the Ready Room, you can come to the record space and get tickets. You can pre-order the record there or at our Bandcamp page. 
If you go to bastardsquadstl.com, there's all the links for you to every single thing. Give us a like, give us a listen, see what you think. Very cool. Um, but December 28th, our first record. And uh, yeah. 22 years in the making. Right. right. And, you know, and we're going to play the record in its entirety at the show. Um, and it's going to, the show's actually split uh, the music stuff we got going on. Uh, we've got a, a kind of metally, hardcore, crusty, uh, two female vocalist band op- uh, playing. We got a, a straight up hardcore band. Uh, we got a party band, Bass Ampandano, Red Bait, uh, Brute Force, and us. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's awesome. gonna be a good time. We will have links to all of it, guys, t- in the in the show notes. Check out the record space. If you're not local, check out Bastard Squad. And you, I mean, you can check out Record Space on Discogs and eBay. And uh, give us a like. And if you see something on Instagram, hit us up and tell us uh, you want it, and I'll ship it to you. That sounds like I, an amazing. I've been deal. doing that for 20 years. That's you're going to be like Dan. What the fuck? You could have just drove up and got the record. Why yes, we yeah. ship it to you. <laughs> you know, actually, I've I've delivered records to people I know. <laughs> so, Save on postage. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you hit me up and you're like, hey, I, I live, you know, I can never get over there. You want me to drop something off? I'll do it. Dude, I've got no excuse. So, like, I live down in a so, yeah. like, I can literally go on Highway 30 and drive straight to the store. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's no... Yeah. It's, I, I feel that it's a convenient location. It's on Gravoy. Gravoy runs through the heart of the city. Oh, yeah. So, just to be... It's a straight line. Get on Gravoy and take it out. And, you know, once you get a half a mile past the city, you're at my shop. Right. And really, it is the city. I mean, when you're that close, I mean, it's not, it doesn't feel like the county. It's just. An, for us, for us county guys, us suburbanites, yeah. it's not that far out of your wheelhouse. No. But you're going to feel like you could be like, hey, honey, I went to the city today. It was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was real rough. I bought a bunch of Godzilla DVDs and action figures and shit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Afton. <laughs> Afton isn't Alton. <laughs> a lot of people think, no doubt, that Alton is where you're. You're like, no, that's really far away. That I mean, that is half an hour or forty five minutes. But sure, yeah. Uh, Afton, my address is St. Louis, and so you know, I say it's in St. Louis. Cool. <laughs> this will probably not be the last time we talk. So. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. And anytime. Any, anytime I'll do. Uh, this is fun. <laughs> <laughs>